Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And I'm very excited for today's episode because I actually get to meet one of the OG members of Sun's Twitter in person today. Uh, he is a former Bright Side of the Sun writer, like I said, an OG member of Sun's Twitter, and a fellow fan of the show 30 Coins. Mike Lisboa, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to have you on, happy to meet face-to-face in person <laughs> for the first time. Um, but let's get right to it. The Sun's uh, actually, on Thursday, NBA announced its starters for the All-Star Game for the West and for the East. Uh, no Suns on the list, unfortunately, for the West, which we kind of expected. I was going to say, we saw that <laughs> coming. I mean, I, between Steph and Luca and Dame, there was not going to be a lot of room for uh, either Devin Booker or Chris Paul or, you know, to make it. And DeAndre Ayton just hasn't been that kind of a presence for them. You know, those are the big three. No. And, and that's, uh, I, I love the Suns Twitter account. I know they have to do their job, but the, the pushing DeAndre Ayton as an all-star, boy, that's a, that's an uphill battle. Um, but super they do uphill. have two. Yeah. Super uphill, but they do have two players who could be in consideration. And we're going to talk about both of them, their all-star cases. And then we're going to make our picks for the all-star uh, selections, the reserves out in the West based on who's left and then we're going to talk about for our G-rated segment, 30 Coins, which is a show on HBO that is incredibly bizarre. If you have seen it, you know what we're talking about. And if you haven't seen it, we'll tell you all about it. I but, say, hopefully uh, you want to watch it after we talk about it because it's great. Yes, it's a really good show. Um, but let's get started with our two all-star candidates in Phoenix. Uh, Devin Booker is the main one, of course. And there are a limited number of spots left. There's only seven. There's two guard spots and two wild card spots in addition to the three front court spots for the reserves. Mike, what would you base Devin Booker's case on for an all-star spot this year? For I mean, Devin Booker has a good case for an all-star spot in that he is one of the premier guards in the league. And, um, you know, I think what we've seen is some deference from him to Chris Paul. And, and I think that has you know, helped Chris Paul's case and hurt Booker's a little bit, um, you know, uh, but uh, Booker's a bucket getter and he continues to do that. And I feel like um, if I were making a case for Devin Booker, I would say he's a young guard. He was an all-star last year. And I think that counts for something. Um, I think uh, he is um, the, well, Here's the problem with Devin Booker's all-star case this year. Like, I know I'm supposed to be making a case for him. But I, want, <laughs> the, the, I feel like it's almost hard to make a case for him because what we've seen in crunch time is we've seen a lot more Chris Paul than Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really hurting my ability to make a case for him. Like, I don't know that I can actually make a strong case for Devin Booker all-star given the rest of the guards in the Western Conference and the play we've just seen from him this season, you know? Right. And that's, that's kind of the thing for Devin Booker is it's all based. It's not all based, but it's mostly based on kind of uh, I don't want to say reputation, but as you said, he was an all-star last year. 
that definitely helps his case, especially as a young player, because when a young player makes the all-star game, they're seen as an up and comer and it's more, it's more natural to select them moving forward, especially with a guy like Booker, who's so talented. Um, I feel like his are kind of his all-star case is mostly based around just kind of having superior raw numbers, um, especially in the scoring column. You know, he's still averaging 24 points, four assists, nearly four rebounds a game, shooting a career high 49% from the field. Uh, The three point percentage could do with an uptick. He's only at like 35%, but even so he's still shooting like 59.3% true shooting. And that's second to only his career best number last year. And when he's on the floor, the Suns are still a plus 2.7, which is the highest of any Suns starter. So he's, he's got the raw numbers. The one thing that stands out to me as far as uh, garnering national attention is he's in, he's been involved in a lot of the Suns' bigger moments. Like, you know, the, sure. the game, the game winner against the Mavs when he dropped 15 in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, he almost had that triple double against the Celtics a few games ago. And then he went on like a tear of 30 straight or three straight 30 point games, including when he just doused the Sixers as he's prone to do <laughs> right against that poor team. I, he's man. I don't know what the Sixers did to him, but he shows up <laughs> every, every time. Ben Simmons must hate that man. He's trying to build his defensive player of the year case. He's trying to move on from past X's and Devin Booker just comes in and says no on both fronts. But, um, you know, and then even a game like the magic where, you know, they're shorthanded, you need to put a team like that away early and he comes out and outscores them in the first quarter by himself. Like just little things like that on the bigger stage, I feel like help his case a little bit. I do. And I, you know, I think it's, it's like, it feels like it's a Phoenix Suns curse and that it's sort of bad timing in that he, he puts out these performances, but then you have Donovan Mitchell on the jazz who've won 20 of 21, you yeah. know, it's like they can't even get hot enough winning, you know, whatever it is, uh, 10 of their last 12, you know, to, to compete with something like that. Um, and, uh, and you know, and he doesn't like, there's like Steph and Dame and then there's sort of Booker Mitchell, um, mm. And uh, I mean, I guess we could talk about Luca, but I, I have a hard time calling Luca a guard <laughs> in the first place because he's right. so big and how he plays the game, um, even though he does play that guard position. But I feel like, you know, it's just he doesn't have that same uh, like people don't look at Devin Booker the way they look at Steph and Damon. I, frankly, I don't either. And that like he is just like there's no hope when he gets the ball, mm-hmm. you know, and both of those guys have that. Uh, that sort of cachet that he hasn't gotten yet. And part of it's because he just hasn't been a part of good basketball teams until this season, really, you know, like last season, you could say they were like an average basketball team, I feel like. Um, But this year is the first time he's been a part of like a legitimate winning team and kind of overshadowed by the fact that, well, Chris Paul showed up and now (laughs) he's got a winning team. But I would say that, this is also the best roster he's ever had, you know, like this, these sons rosters have been a disaster his entire career last Mm. year, made big steps in the right direction this year. um, Now he's got like, he doesn't have to carry the full load. And unfortunately Mm. he doesn't have to carry the full load. (laughs) Right. That's what, that's what stands out to me is aside from the fact that he's kind of heating up at the right time, since he's come back from that hamstring hamstring injury, he's been on a tear is that like, I don't want to say people are moving the goalposts, but it just, the timing of it sucks because up till this point in his career, the biggest thing has been, oh, Devin Booker puts up great numbers, but his team loses. 
you know, he, he's a looter in a riot is the phrase that always shows up on Sun's Twitter sarcastically right. now. And now that he's winning, he doesn't have to do as much. He's playing better defense. He's in an offense that is based on making quick decisions and moving the ball a lot. So his between that and Chris Paul being into the fold now, his assist numbers are naturally down. But people look at his numbers being down, and now it feels like we're kind of moving the goalposts a little bit as far as, like, we wanted him to win games and not put up these gaudy numbers, you know, in losses. Now he's got slightly lesser numbers, but the team is winning, and it still might not matter. That that kind of thing has to be frustrating, just the timing of it. Um, and, and people will say it's a little bit unfair logic, but the reality is, like, there are so many good players that are going to miss the all-star game this year. There are a ton, especially in the West and West guard has always been uh, a hard place to like find your niche, unless you're one of the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if, it, if it wasn't uh, Dame, it was like Steph and clay, you know, like, yep. and it's just like, and, and, you know, James Harden, like we ship out James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And then you've got <laughs> Luca coming in as a guard and, you know, uh, and then Steph comes back healthy. Dame takes it to another level and Donovan Mitchell is, you know, like uh, I don't watch a lot of jazz basketball, but like Mm. he's doing great things on a team that is like, like white hot, you know? Right. And uh, it's, it's hard to compete with that. You know, I think he can, he's got a case as a reserve, uh, but like still tough road to hoe with, um, you know, Mitchell there. And, uh, and who's the other one I'm forgetting. Um, there are quite a few. There's quite um, a few, yeah. Like, yeah, they've they've got. I mean, the Jazz. You could make a case for Mike Conley. We'll talk about this in a little bit. I wouldn't make that case, but you could make the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Shea Gilgis Alexander with the Thunder. You got De'Aaron Fox with the Kings. Even Demar Derozan, who's kind of underrated in all this conversation. Um, he's not putting up fantastic numbers, but he is the best player so far on a Spurs team that is 16 and 11 kind of sneaking under the radar there. Um, so there are a lot of different candidates and, and we'll kind of, uh, we'll make our picks here in a bit, but let's, let's move on to Chris Paul. Um, because oddly enough, it feels like a lot of the national people are giving him either as much love as Devin Booker, or maybe even more as far as his all-star case. What would you say as far as CP 3s case for making the all-star game this year? I mean, I would say it's that he's bringing out the best in a Suns team that showed last season that they were like ready to make the leap. And he is Mm -hmm. like sort of the leap, you know, Uh, Ricky Rubio was great. And I love Ricky here, but like uh, Ricky Rubio is not taking over games in the last, you know, four minutes. Uh, The way we saw Chris Paul try to do against the Nets, um, even though they lost that game, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like that sort of situation isn't happening. And I think, what we've seen from Chris Paul, uh, we've seen most of his contributions be in those like crunch times where it's like, oh yeah, this is why you trade for Chris Paul because he knows how to win games and doing that for a team, you know, I feel like you can say that he's made um, Mikhail Bridges better. He's made mm-hmm. DeAndre Ayton better. You know, I don't know what he's done to the conversations he's had with DeAndre Ayton and maybe it's not him, but like we've seen a whole new Ayton this season. I feel yeah. like some of that has got to be attributed to Chris Paul, who's sort of been a big man whisperer his whole career. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I think, you know, we're seeing him 
like be Chris Paul. Like I feel like Chris Paul's argument for being an all-star is almost just that he's Chris Paul. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's doing Chris Paul things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like it, he's the point God for a reason. And um, even at 35 or 36, whatever he is now, he's maintaining that level of play, you know? Yeah. He's uh, I mean, he's still putting up good numbers, 17 points, eight assists, almost five rebounds, shooting 49% from the floor, 37% from three, an absurd 97% from the free throw line. He doesn't get there <laughs> often, but still that's ridiculous. Um, and like you said, it, it's kind of uh, like we could all look at the Suns in the bubble and see this as a young team that was ready to make that jump, make that leap into being a playoff caliber team. But they still needed that that trampoline, that launching off point to get there. I feel like Chris Paul is that guy. Um, you know, as much as I still think Devin Booker is their best player, um, I feel like Chris Paul is their most impactful and he's the biggest catalyst behind the turnaround that we're seeing now. Um, you know, to this point in the season last year, they were, I think they were 11 and 16 and this year they're 17 and 10. So major change there. And like you mentioned earlier, he's also been very good for them in the clutch. Um, you know, the Suns have played 16 games with clutch minutes, which is the most in the NBA and Chris Paul ranks fourth in the NBA in clutch points. He scored 63 points in 72 minutes, and he shot like 48% in those scenarios. He's behind only Damian Lillard, who's absurd in crunch time, Levine and Harden in that category. And Booker, he's way back with like 38 clutch points, tied for 20th, and he's shooting like 33% in those scenarios. So very big contrast there. Chris Paul is the guy for them in the clutch um, aside from, you know, that one Dallas game where Booker hit a big shot. Um, he had that one shot over Jokic. He, like you said, against the Nets, he was the only thing trying to stop that horrible collapse that we wound up seeing. Um, so he, he's had his dominant stretches and I feel like you could very much make a case for him based on, on those kind of narratives there. Uh, for sure. For sure. And reputation, of course, that counts for a lot among mm especially when you are at his level, you know, like Booker's got this reputation, but he's only in year five now. And, you know, when you're Chris Paul and you've been doing all-star games and all-star things for 15 years, like that you see that Chris Paul's on a 17 and 10 team. There's a chance that like the coaches are saying like, yeah, let's, let's invite Chris right. Paul to the party, you know? Yeah. Like he's, he's the difference. I, I feel personally that they're both deserving, but obviously, you know, that's not all that matters because there are lots of deserving guys. So Let's go ahead and make our picks. Obviously tonight, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic were all announced as Western Conference starters. I think you and I can both agree all five of those guys were no-brainers. Even if, you know, I would have had Damian Lillard over Doncic just because what he's doing right now with uh, McCollum and Nurkic out is insane. But that's just kind of splitting hairs. They were both going to get in. They both deserved it. Um from there, so so let's say Damian Lillard takes that first backcourt spot. Uh, like you said, Donovan Mitchell, probably another lock. He's putting up pretty similar numbers to Booker, except he's doing it for a team that's just unbelievable right now. Um, they started four and four, and they've lost like one game out of 24 games since or something like that. It's ridiculous. Like it's bonkers <laughs> hot. And like you, that's, you know, it's tough that a that they're in our conference and we've got to deal with that but like be individually like as a suns fan it's like no, no it's like sit down like let Devin take, <laughs> like let Devin do his thing you know like right that's what's frustrating is like both 
the Jazz and the Blazers while the Suns, they went on that six-game tear and they've won like nine of their last 11. Now the Blazers have gone on a six-game tear. They've also won nine of their last 11. The Jazz have won like 21 of 22 games or something like that. Um, it's just all like at the exact same time. So the Suns are not the only exciting uh, kind of dark horse team in the West right now. Um, so I think we can agree Mitchell's a lock. In the front court, I feel like Paul George and Rudy Gobert are pretty pretty yeah. set. Um, you know, George putting up great numbers for the Clippers, and then Gobert is, has been the best player on the Jazz on both ends of the floor. Um, so I th- feel like those are locks. This one is kind of iffy. Anthony Davis for the third front court spot. That's I, that's where I was actually going to say Anthony Davis is is probably like I feel like he'll get in uh, like on reputation, but I don't I don't think it's that mm-hmm. iffy. Like I think Anthony Davis is a very solid you know uh, right pick. Like there's no um, I don't know how you'd argue that he has doesn't deserve to be an all star necessarily. You know right. Well, Charles Barkley did. I'm glad you mentioned that. Charles Barkley <laughs> did on the broadcast today. He said he would have Jordan Clarkson in over. Anthony Davis. Which is... That's embarrassing. Those guys, <laughs> those guys, man, they continue to like, I don't know what time machine they like go back into after they finish each game, <laughs> but it's like the last 10 years of basketball just haven't happened. And oh, yeah. they, they come back and <laughs> they just continue to embarrass themselves with their like a refusal to uh, grow with the game you know, yeah. or acknowledge the ways the game and the players have changed and grown, you know? Oh yeah. It's, it's the very much old man, get off my porch. Like I see what you're doing, but don't forget about what I did 20, 30 years ago. It's, it's a lot, but um, yeah. So I agree with you. I think Anthony Davis is a lock. I don't think he's missed enough games, especially since the coaches are voting soon. Um, reserves are announced on Tuesday. So he won't have missed enough games to draw, to take him out of the running I think the thing that'll be interesting to watch with him is he's dealing with that Achilles thing right now. And the right. Lakers are going to be careful with him because they have their sights set on greater things, obviously. So this might be a situation where we're looking at a potential injury replacement for him. Um, and we see injury replacements every year, pretty much. So one thing to keep an eye on with him, but how, I think he's how Devin lock. became an all-star was exactly. Unfortunately, you know? he had to <laughs> he had to wait for Dame to get hurt. Um, so that's those are the three front court locks. That leaves us with two wild card spots. Um, Booker and CP3 are in the running. Then you've got two Pelicans, Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. You've got Conley with the Jazz, which they actually their record has been good enough to potentially warrant a third All Star. Um, and Conley has that whole narrative of never being an All Star yet right. that that could make people sentimental because this might be his last chance. Um, then you've got Shea on the rise. You've got De'Aaron Fox. You've got DeMar DeRozan, sneakily good for a sneakily good Spurs team. Um, even John Morant could draw consideration. I, I think he's, I mean, the Grizzlies are 12 and 12, but I don't think he's put up the numbers for that. No, I so, mean, he was, he was, it's funny that Jaw was neck and neck with Booker in the fan voting for a minute there. Like, yeah, you know, was. Like, I think he finished between Devin Booker and Chris Paul, like sandwich right in there. I was looking at the, I think the last round of results before they announced today. And I think Jaw was actually ahead of Devin Booker. I was like, oh, come on, that can't be right. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you want Sun's Twitter to show out more than that. But um, Booker did get fifth, so they did. Um, but which two out of those groups for the wild card would you go with? I mean, I, you know, does it have to be a guard and a big? Because it can be 
either it can be two guards it could be two bigs or there's not really two bigs in that group but. no i mean I, because zion feels like it's gonna be zion you know I, he I is inevitable it, yeah exactly yeah i i just feel like he his he's got too much presence to get overlooked um i, I mean i don't know brandon ingram also is you know putting up the kind of numbers that get you into an all-star game uh so I think that's kind of a coin toss. I think one of those two, maybe probably not both. I can't imagine them giving two Pelicans. The, that would be rough. Can you imagine Suns Twitter uh, of that? Brutal, <laughs> just brutal. And uh, um, and then, you know, like I feel like you got a pretty good case for. I mean, Devin Booker over Chris Paul. Like as as much as I feel like I kind of downplayed Devin Booker's All Star chances. That was more as starter. Um, right. You know, uh, but I think uh, he's I think this should be his year. You know, I think uh, definitely over Conley, even though the Jazz are doing well. And I know he's got the like you said, sort of like aging gunslinger sort of mm-hmm. uh, narrative. Um, I don't think he has been that good. Though I'm glad he's been good. Like I thought when he went to the Jazz, he was going to light it up there. And then mm-hmm. he had that weird year year and a half where it was rough (laughs) it wasn't clicking and i like it was like what happened to this guy um Mm. um but i think i think zion and devin would probably be my picks you know um yeah uh, i feel like chris paul as great as he has been he just hasn't been as um dominant you know devin has just been a a more significant i guess offensive presence you know right uh than chris paul yeah, I, th- I think I would actually, I had Devin Booker and Zion written down as well. I think they're for similar reasons. They're two young players. They're two young players that everyone knows are on the rise. Booker just got into the All-Star game last year. He's still the face of the franchise. So I feel like when head coaches vote, they're going to think of Devin Booker first, even with Chris Paul coming into the fold. And then Zion, Zion's putting up pretty absurd numbers, and he's been really good the last couple of weeks too. Um, taking on more of a facilitating role. He's shooting like 62% with like 25 points and seven <laughs> boards. Um, the Pelicans are nowhere near good enough to warrant two all-stars. So that Absolutely would be, not. And that so would be I, really bad <laughs> if that happens. But I think Booker and Zion are the two spots. I think if you're a Suns fan, what you're hoping for is that Devin and Chris Paul get those two wildcard spots, which would be deserving. And then Zion gets named as an injury replacement or vice versa, Chris Paul injury replacement, either way um, for Anthony Davis. But yeah, I I think that's probably the best case scenario for Suns all-star stuff this year. I mean, is there a world when with Anthony Davis, you know, I'm pretty sure he won't play if he, you know, with the Achilles injury uh, Mm. that, you know, Zion gets in and then they decide we need another big because Anthony Davis has stepped out. And so, (laughs) so you end up with the doomsday, you know, Brandon Ingram, (laughs) Uh, Zion Williamson, two Pelican problem. Uh, man, you just, wow, you opened up a whole can of worms. I wasn't even thinking of that, but it's entirely <laughs> possible that that happens because as as people who follow the Suns, we're conditioned for this. <laughs> it's it's like, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. <laughs> exactly. But I think that's going to do it for Suns Talk for right now. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. Okay, so... We are going to hit for our G-rated segment today, a show called 30 Coins, which is on HBO Europe. Uh, You can watch it on HBO Max. It's created by Alex de la Iglesia. It's set in Pedraza, Spain. And 
Mike, I alluded to this earlier, but it's one of the more bizarre shows I've seen in the last year. And that's saying a lot because since the pandemic hit, I've done nothing but binge watch shows, <laughs> but it's, it's like in the best way possible. I mean it as a compliment. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar, it's basically about the good and evil playing out in men's minds and hearts. Uh, it's about this darker faction of the Catholic church that kind of hails Judas as a saint because without Judas's betrayal, how would Jesus have, you know, died for mankind's sins and redeemed us all, basically? Um, and it's the premise is kind of based around these 30 coins that Judas was paid, these 30 silver coins when he betrayed Jesus. They are these holy relics, these artifacts that are imbued with power. And uh, it kind of alludes to like Napoleon Bonaparte had three of these coins and look what he did. Hitler had five of these coins. Look what he did. So imagine if this alternative faction of the church gets a hold of these 30 coins they would have the power to overthrow the church and basically take over the world um mike how would you aside from that totally bizarre uh elevator pitch that i just gave the listeners how would you describe the show and what made it such a good watch i i like it because it is um so it's it's very clearly like a horror show um but it it's so grounded in, I mean, it's only, I, based on what you just said, what I'm going to say is sound really good. It's grounded in reality. Right. In that, like all of these characters feel very real and are acting naturally, mm. given the fact that they are ending up uh, fighting all these monsters and having all these evil things happen because they're in possession of one of these 30 gold coins. And mm. um, like the things that make the show to me is that it's got a really high production value, which I, Maybe it's it because I wasn't, because it's from Europe, HBO Europe, I wasn't quite expecting it, but it looks like a big budget American television show. And mm -hmm. um, like you, with the exception of maybe some of the effects in the finale, which we can talk about or not, um, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like uh, throughout the show, it, it feels like you are watching something that um, really has everyone working at the top of their games. Like it's a beautiful mm -hmm. looking show. It's a, well-written show it's an incredibly well acted show mm -hmm. um and uh you literally never know what's going to happen like right. at any given point like you never know if someone's gonna like explode or if a monster's gonna come out of the ground or someone's gonna betray with someone or sleep with someone it's like it's really kind of out of control in a lot of ways um but in the best possible way in a very controlled way in which they like know what they're doing like i love watching this show Right. It, it, like you said, it's, it's as much grounded in reality as you can be for a show that's based on like demons and possessions and all kinds of well, stuff and, like that. Yeah. And if you haven't watched the show, you know, if you're, like it takes place in this small town in rural Spain. Um, mm -hmm. So you feel like you're living in the town as you're watching the show. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so you like, you get to know all the characters and I think that really helps um, like keep it, keep the like the, the supernatural from like overwhelming uh you know the characters in the story and that like it feels like they are all in it together in a certain way right and, and so we'll we'll get into the season one finale basically but for those of you who haven't watched it spoiler alert um it's it's basically the three main characters that kind of ground the show are father vergara who is the priest who he kind of he got he came into possession of one of the coins through an exorcism gone wrong the guy died and then it wound up 
being revealed later that the guy that he was exercising was actually a demon every, who planted like the coin every, on him. Every plot twist, <laughs> like every kind of sort of plot device you want to discuss in the show, just sounds completely ridiculous. It does. Like, <laughs> it really does. But it's, it's grounded in reality, but also this coin popped out of a dude's arm. like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which was very gross, but it was, yeah. I swear, watch it, it'll make sense and it'll actually seem okay. But so it's based on him. He comes to this small Spanish town to kind of flee his past um, and inadvertently drags the whole town into it. And then there's Paco, who is the mayor of this small town and Elena, who is the uh, veterinarian of the town, who they wind up falling in love even though Paco is married. And his wife is an interesting character as well. Merche because she's I love kind of Merche is one of my favorite characters on the show. She is actually very compelling because at the start I thought she was just basically going to be you know this horrible wife like of course he would leave her like this bitter partner, and they gave her a lot of depth as far as like she was really hurt by Paco falling in love with someone else. She's trying to make it work with him for his business. She's motivated, um, and then in the end it kind of uh, goes back to the old saying hell hath no fury like a woman scorned because... right right very literally at the end like that's yeah weird. um but the finale i so i this show as of this recording has not been renewed for season two which and i came into it thinking this was a limited series so i thought it was going to wrap everything up at the end I expected not, a little more resolution as well <laughs> at the end of the show the the finale like uh, I was actually not a huge fan of the finale of the no, show. Um, I wasn't either. Uh, like it felt like they built all this stuff and then they just kind of like decided like, well, we're just going to throw everything at the screen <laughs> yeah. now. And, and none of it felt like it actually had too much of the, like they spent so much time laying this foundation. And then it seems like they were just like, we're going to just dead right. animal creatures, everything <laughs> coming yeah. at you right now, you know? And also we're not going to resolve any of the storylines. Adam. Yeah, it, it was like, very much, I felt like they made it with the intention of like, if you want to see what happens, you need to renew us for season two so we can keep going. Real. I like they're trying to hold the network hostage with, with their yeah. finale because none of the storylines end up uh, with answers, just more questions. Yes, and hopefully it gets renewed for season two. But like at the end, Elena is being rushed to the emergency room with a potentially cursed wound of some sort. <laughs> In her neck. Yeah, she's like bleeding out from a pinprick, a pin. basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, we don't know if Father Vergara survived his fall, which okay. Here's a, here's <laughs> this is this was the part that kind of pissed me off the most. Is like you've set up this this incredibly epic confrontation between good and evil, these two <laughs> warring factions of the church, and all it takes to bring down this group that now has the th all 30 coins in its possession. They have this new pope who's all decked out in black and they've got their insignia, which is like the crucifix upside down. He's got all 30 coins in his little Bishop hat. And also oh, they maybe uh, have Satan on their side. Like they yeah, have liberal possibly. Satan maybe. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all it took to take him down was Father Vergara's stiff arm of a demon. And then <laughs> he just tackles the guy over the rail. The coins scatter and apparently all the power yes. goes away. Like yes. it was so weird. It so I, so I, I do get the idea that like, okay, power corrupts, greed corrupts. So these priests, they see the coins on the ground and the temptation overwhelms them. Um, and so that, that I get that whole idea, but 
man, that would have, that was one hell of a tackle that just completely upended well, this plot to take over the world. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Father Vergara is a pretty solidly built dude. Like, he I mean, he was ripped. I, mean, I love that, they, that his character set up that he's this like chain smoking boxing priest. Like that's his, <laughs> yeah, his whole great. thing, you know? Uh, and, and apparently a, a strong enough to tackle evil, which, uh, but yeah, that, that finale where they knock him off the balcony and the coins go scattering and just, I was like, you guys built, like literally been working for hundreds of years to get to this point. Right. <laughs> and, and instead of- And you've lost it all. Instead of like back in your boy who just got knocked off a balcony, <laughs> you're just gonna take the coins and run. Yeah, you know? it, and, and of course, as we talked to, Merche gets her hand on one of the coins and she runs off with some random priests that she had been eyeballing, I guess. They had been kind of eyeballing each other. And that's how the season ends is with them in the car looking at each other all smug, driving off to some- unknown place but that that was the other thing that bothered me was like the way it's filmed as far as all these priests leaving with their own coins they're yeah. just like single file booking it out like that, god knows was, where they're going it was just a reverse of when they all arrived you know yeah. very orderly like well we're leaving the football game everyone's got their coin and oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know and it, it's it's unfortunate because the first you know it's an eight episode show the first seven episodes are so mm -hmm. strong and so like they're character driven and they're moody and you never know what form of like dark magic is going to be the next challenge they have to face. Right. Uh, and it just felt like in the finale, they sort of abandoned a bunch of that uh, yeah. in favor of like spectacle and uh, like that giant monster at the very beginning. At the beginning they, yeah. They, they don't <laughs> explain, but you know, I was like, Oh, I guess this is what the devil looks like. But then he just, they shot him with a machine gun. and he went away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're just firing clips from a regular gun at this at this giant monster from like Mordor or whatever. And it's, I thought that the buildup to it was cool because the, the demon was all decked out in white and he had like the symbols kind of the painted on him or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever those are. yeah. Yeah. Like that, it was building up to something cool. And then nope, it's just a giant like spider monster from hell that comes out of the ground. Which I like you know, horror movies go to the spider monster thing a little too often. Uh, this mm. one does them really well. They're like awful, yes. creepy, terrible looking they spider are, they're monsters. Na they're gnarly. They're like, they're gross. <laughs> um, and it gets pretty yeah. gory too when it when the action cranks up. Oh, it does. I mean, it starts off. I mean, the, the opening, you know, here's, this is not a spoiler because it's the opening scene of the series. It's literally, mm. a, a, it's a immaculately filmed sequence of a guy going into Rob uh, some kind of vault i forget what kind of vault of mm -hmm. one of the coins and um like he just uh, like shoots like 20 people gets himself yeah. shot like 20 <laughs> times yeah. uh and uh like in you're like oh we're on for a ride now you know mm -hmm. and pretty much every episode has a sequence like that where you're just horrified about what's happening to someone's body right and that's so the most disappointing thing aside from all of the open-ended questions and the kind of flimsy climax of <laughs> we're gonna thwart this plan by just tackling a guy over a ledge <laughs> the biggest thing for me was I felt like this show has a fascinating premise as far as kind of this you know the 30 coins of Judas this alternative history kind of based on this idea of free will versus preordained events because the whole thing that fascinates with me with Judas um, and especially you know I'm a I'm a Catholic is the idea that someone had to betray Jesus, someone had to be put on this earth to betray him. But also like this idea of free will that all men are 
able to make these decisions for themselves. And I feel like, you know, there's this whole other faction of the church that believes that he was really a good guy because he just did what he was put on this earth to do. And so I wish we could have seen more of the, that kind of clash of ideology play out, you know, cause this show is very much about the dangers of like religious fanaticism about how evil people justify their horrible actions, you know, in kind of this search for truth, uh, which is what this whole other faction is trying to do. Um, and, you know, the, just the, the epic nature, the graphic nature of the intro sequence alone kind of like lets you think that that's oh, going to yeah, be what talk it, about the opening oh, credits and how it's, it's the most gnarly thing ever. <laughs> I mean, it's like a, basically like a 30 second condensed version of the, the, you know, the passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson mm-hmm. movie, you know, like it's just this very graphic reenactment of the crucifixion of Jesus slash Judas hanging himself. <laughs> Yeah, it's horrifying. Like there's, you know, and there's all these other images that they interject in the middle of this bloody crucifixion. You got like the snake slithering. You've got the skull, skull covered with spiders. And... <laughs> yeah. and then you've got just, it's you've got bloody Jesus, like looking down and laughing at Judas for what he's done. You've got Judas like running on the mount on the hill with like lightning in the background. And then he just throws the rope over the church. Like it's very a biblical proportions literally and <laughs> not literally yeah, it's but... a good way of putting it yeah and I, you know it's interesting because i hadn't thought about like sort of the lack of theology in the story mm. um i think they do try to like they don't really address like directly that's a thing that based on the credits i too thought like oh we're gonna learn about like judas and the alternate <laughs> history of judas and that right. really just kind of gets like barely lip service Mm. Um, but I think they do some interesting stuff with like Vergata's character is sort of, you know, is he the guardian of the coin for like against good or is he the guardian of the coin so these guys can just come grab it and take <laughs> over the world? You know, right. they try and do some stuff with that. And I think they they try to set up a dichotomy between him and Fabio, the like evil cardinal, the main evil cardinal. Um, yeah. Where, uh, you know, is fabio you know which one of them is really on the side of good <laughs> right. you know because the, the the bad priest's whole argument is that like we're fulfilling this um uh well, you know, we're taking the rightful power of man by like absorbing this magic from the coins and uh um, and does god even exist because these are magic like these are magic <laughs> right. spells <laughs> right. uh you know like it gets into like is there even a god even though they set up like good and evil and all this stuff and mm. And Vergara's character, I think, is supposed to, like, they ask a lot of him in terms of where the moral spectrum, you know, mm-hmm. he's this like chain smoking badass who also comes strapped <laughs> with like an armory when he first moves into the town. Well, it's dipped in holy water. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I, I think. It's like Van Helsing for Spain. Yeah, and, you know, as a, as a <laughs> right? <laughs> as a, someone who like grew up going to Catholic school and um, uh, sort of a lapsed Catholic, uh, there is definitely like they don't really address the religious aspects that they kind of really overtly like allude to, but they mm-hmm. never actually like come out and um, give you a catechism of what's actually happening, you know? Right, and and that's fine. Like I I definitely don't want it to become like this religious Catholic overtone show because I feel like it's still very interesting and very cool in its own right. I just feel like you know some of those themes that you bring up with such a vivid intro sequence and and kind of the underlying premise. I felt like they could have built on that a little bit more, but 
you know, like we said, there were a lot of things that were left kind of unfulfilled in the season one finale. What would you, what score would you give this out of 10 as far as this first season? Oh, the first season. Oh, um, I, pretty high, like 8.5. Like I okay. think, yeah, I, because I feel like the first seven episodes are so strong and mm. so well executed and such dread that like, even though the finale ends up being kind of a letdown, mm. uh, it, like I just really, um, I was taken by the show and I wanted to come back and I couldn't get enough of it when I was watching it, you know? So I think, yeah. um, and it's hard to like, um, imagine, I don't know. It, it's hard to like knock this show at all because the quality is so great across the board. You know, it, right. you don't see shows like this very often and they take subject matter that is generally sort of uh, relegated to like genre less mm-hmm. so I guess now, but like, and really elevate it. Like, I think that's the thing that's for me is that they elevate it um, with great characters. That's how you tell a good story is you have great characters and you put them in weird situations and then you let them act naturally. And that's, there's nothing in the show that ever feels like oh they needed a plot device so we're gonna have like Paco fall in love or whatever you know it just feels like everything feels really organic and so I think it's a it's a great show uh despite our qualms about the finale yes and I would agree with that it's I mean the acting is phenomenal the cinematography is great I for my g rating I'm probably I'm gonna give it a 7.5, which feels low, but I reserve the right to, as soon as it's renewed for season two, <laughs> upgrade it to an eight. Because if it's left on, if it's left unended like this, I'm going to have to bump it down to a seven. But if, if we get our chance at answers next season, I believe enough in the first seven episodes to bump it up to an eight. I think that's totally fair. I think that's <laughs> totally fair. Because narratively, if it does feel like they dropped the ball, maybe on purpose, maybe not in that finale. Well, well, we'll have to see if it gets renewed. Hopefully it does so we can talk about this in the future. But Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know that you work for reality TV now, but tell me where or tell the good people where they can follow you on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at, at Mike Lisboa. And um, yeah, I'm usually there talking sons and uh, TV and movies. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on, Mike. That's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Um, please subscribe, tell your friends, write me a review and uh, let me know some TV shows or movies you've been watching lately. And we might talk about them on the show, but that's going to do it for today. This is Gerald Borgay signing off.